The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So gently returning from our break. Maybe you had some mindfulness of the body during that time. And if not, coming back. (laughs) We're going to do another short sitting together now. So gently taking a meditation posture. Finding a position where you can be upright and relaxed. Present with some degree of ease. Closing the eyes and bringing the attention inward. Feeling first the stillness of the body, the contact point with the chair or the cushion, the bench, legs or feet on the floor. The stability of that base that you're sitting on. Maybe gently feeling the breath moving through the body. That gentle, immediate sensation of the flowing of the air in and out. There may be other things happening related to the body, such as sound, my voice, touch of the clothing, the lingering taste of a snack you might have had. broadening the field of awareness to notice things that are in the mind. Thoughts, for example, are often accessible. Noticing that mindfulness can still be present, observing things in the mind. There may be feelings, emotions, ideas, intentions. And then feeling again into the the body, 
which is always in the present moment. We're just familiarizing ourselves with the territory here. One way that we can be mindful of the mind is to consider kind of the broad flavor or sometimes it's said mood that's present in the mind. So I'm going to ask a few questions. We can check. Is my mind right now affected by wanting or is it not affected by wanting? Just kind of the the coloring on the mind. Is my mind right now affected by aversion? Or is it not affected by aversion? And we just look. Oh, how is it? Is my mind right now affected by confusion or is it not affected by confusion? There's no need to change the way the mind is. As with the body, we can just observe it. How is it right now? Not needing to fix or change. Is my mind currently at least somewhat concentrated or is my mind not concentrated?
Is there peace in this mind? There's kind of a feeling in the mind. These are yes or no questions, but the answer is not a word. It's the experience of how the mind is. So just touching into those flavors wanting aversion, confusion, stability, peace. knowing that we are aware of the mind right now, mindfulness of the mind. Now gently opening the experience again to touch into the body body sitting, maybe the breathing, this still mindfulness, knowing that we are aware of the body. This body, this mind, our life. There's nothing that's outside of what mindfulness, no experience that's outside of what mindfulness can touch.
Okay. So we're talking today about these four foundations of mindfulness that Chris introduced briefly. And then she talked quite a bit about the first foundation, which is the body. The body is an excellent foundation of mindfulness, actually, because it's, it's immediately available, usually quite easy to connect with in some way, and it offers so many modes of practice that Chris talked about. In fact, the Buddha himself was said to use mindfulness of breathing as a meditation method even after he became enlightened. He still did that. But we may notice that mindfulness of the body, even if we practice this, you know, if we practice this for a while, it often begins to include or shade into mindfulness of some aspect of the mind. As we observe the body and feel it internally, as we practiced earlier today, we begin to see that there's a response to how it feels. And this is what was just briefly introduced as feeling tone. So the sense of, you know, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neither. And feeling tone is an aspect of the mind. So we have the body, but then there's immediately, right up against it actually, it's, it occurs at the same moment that there's a contact on the body. There's also a flavor in the mind, a feeling tone in the mind. I'll talk about this more in a moment. I was, I'm using this as a transition to show that the body and the mind are intimately related. In fact, we had a beautiful comment about how they feed back and forth at the end of the last breakout session. You also may have noticed, just for yourself, that there's a lot going on in the mind during meditation. Thoughts, for example, just in case you've noticed this. So there's also, of course, emotions, intentions, other things. And so it's helpful to have tools to work with these and to even if we're not doing anything, but to have a sense of how to see those things. And the Buddha did lay out some specific guidelines for how to observe the mind. That's what the other three foundations are. Sometimes I think about this like, um, like imagine if you were born in a jungle village. You're a person from a jungle village and you grew up there. That's kind of the life that you know. And then one day you are transported to the middle of New York City. And there's cars and there's pavement and there's people all over the place and neon signs. And you're told to observe what you see. Okay, you're going you're gonna to go to New York and you're going to observe but you're from this jungle village. You would have no idea, right, how to parse that experience um, when you first arrived. It would be very helpful if somebody told you this is a car, this is 
a fire hydrant. <laughs> this is a door. <laughs> Things that you may not have seen. So, you know, maybe it's not quite that extreme, but it can be that when we open to the mind, it's a little confusing because there's a lot there and it tends to be kind of quick. And so I feel like what the Buddha offered us in these foundations of mindfulness that relate to the mind is some vocabulary and some coordinate system and some way of understanding all that that we see in our mind. And he chose these three categories because they're particularly areas where we tend to get caught. We're we're likely to run into suffering if we're not aware of these particular three areas. And so he, he gave us categories that are useful. You know, it's not like they're fundamental and more important than other ways of seeing the mind, but this is what's useful if you're looking to understand how your mind works and to free it from suffering. So with that kind of top-level view, let's look at these three foundations that relate to the mind, ways that we can be mindful of our mind. And so the first is this, this feeling tone. And it's very, very simple. You know, it's not this, I don't know why the word feeling is used, because we use feeling for emotions and other things in, in Western language. But feeling tone is meant to be this very simple um, kind of gut-level response that we have to experience. It's pleasant, it's not pleasant, or it's neither, kind of neutral. And actually, um, one of the best descriptions I've heard of this is from Bob Stahl, who um, puts kind of a nonverbal tone to it. He says, there's, ah, there's, uh, and there's, eh. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> we can feel this in the in the mind. You know, each, and it's it's said actually that every single experience, you know, every single little contact that we have has this flavor to it. And we don't need to try to worry about whether we should be thinking this is pleasant or unpleasant. As soon as the mind gets mixed up, it can start saying, oh, you know, this is such a, you know, this this flower arrangement was created so nicely, but why don't I like it? Why is it not pleasant? You know, uh, that's not related. It's just that gut response and what it is, is, is something that can be known. This may sound kind of s- simplistic, you know, it's like, why would I look at that? But actually, this is very powerful. What is it that... that the, Chris used a lovely phrase, the root of reactivity, I think, is what she said for feeling tone. This little subtle response to what's happening, you know, contacts that we're having, experiences that we're having, is the place where we decide whether we like or dislike something. Um, and then once we've got that preference established, then we want to get more of it or keep it or we want to push it away. And then we become a person who needs to push this away and it becomes a problem and it becomes a whole thing. And then there's suffering. Have you noticed this? 
So this is kind of the chain that we can go down. But it happens, and the Buddha knew this, that's why it was so brilliant to point this out. It happens that if we're mindful of that moment of, ah, uh, or eh, then that whole chain may not start. Um, and we can just be with that um, sense. Wow. And we can, you know, we can go into a thought, wow, this is really unpleasant. But as long as we're staying with that, then we're not turning it into, and I hate it, and it has to go away, and it's ruining my life, um, which the mind can easily do. Um, so this is a great way to avoid suffering. <laughs> so noticing feeling tone. One time I was... Um, on retreat at IMS, and this is um, out in a retreat center out in Massachusetts, and it was, I think it was winter at the time, and so, you know, the the shower is a very nice experience um, when you can see the snow outside and so forth, and I was in the shower, and it suddenly went cold. <laughs> And I think I had the shampoo on or something. It wasn't a moment, you know, it wasn't the right moment for this. Um, and, but I, it was a long retreat, and so my mind was pretty settled at that point. And I remember what, I noticed what happened was that my mind immediately went to, wow, that is really unpleasant, unpleasant. And that was just where it went. And it still wasn't pleasant, but um, it stopped me screaming or you know anything else and I was able to say wow wow that's really unpleasant and step out and you know it got warm again in another 30 seconds or whenever the hot water got turned off or something from somewhere else but I thought it was so interesting that it actually wasn't I mean it was a shocking experience in the moment but once it was over it was over and my mind didn't freak out and I didn't say, I didn't write a note to the manager saying, you really ought to get your hot water heater fixed. Please upgrade your showers because this was really horrible and this shouldn't have to happen to anybody. You know, whatever. Um, it was just, it was just like that. And I, I remember appreciating the practice a lot at that moment that my mind went to that. Okay, so that's the second foundation of mindfulness and the first of the mind. And then the the next area is mindfulness of mind states. And that was what we worked with in the meditation, actually. So this has to do with what is the what is in the mind, what states are there. It often appears as kind of a mood or a flavor, a color, if you want, it depends which you know, what image you want to use in the mind. And so we're the sutta at least talks about a specific set of things to notice that include I changed the words a little bit. The sutta says lust. Um, I think it says ill will and delusion, but they're essentially wanting, not wanting, and confusion. And then it has some other qualities of the mind listed, such as whether your mind is distracted, whether it's contracted, concentrated, even liberated. There's a couple others. But these... um, this, the idea is just to notice what is the state of the mind, what is in the mind right now. And the reason this, this one is important is that we can 
often our experience is very much colored by these mind states that are present. So for example, if you happen to be in a somewhat aversive mind state, just that's the flavor in the mind, and you walk out the door, most likely you'll see the fact that the car that you're walking by is parked at a weird angle to the curb. Why couldn't they pull in a little bit better? And then you notice that it's a little bit loud and you wish that you could hear the birds better, but there's a rumbling truck going by. And then you notice that there's a piece of trash on the ground. And you might be thinking, wow, everything is unpleasant. <laughs> Why is the world so unpleasant at this moment? Or something, or go off on it. Then you can notice, oh, you know, my mind is just a little, eh, right now. It's just, you know, and that's affecting my experience. This is a very important thing to know, is that the inner state affects how we see what we think is the outer state. And being aware of this can stop us from blaming other people, snapping at other people, or getting lost in things. Just being aware, oh, this is what's in my mind right now. This is affecting me. Another thing that's very interesting, somewhat subtle, but very interesting about the instructions for mind states is that we're asked to notice also um, what is absent. So you notice that I said, is this mind affected by wanting or is it not affected by wanting? So you might notice, oh, because you're not always (laughs) in some kind of a hindrance state. Do you know what your mind feels like when it is not in a state of wanting? So it's nice to be aware of the absence of wanting or the absence of ill will. We usually notice what is and what's present and what's arising and what is powerful for us. And we're actually directed in this to notice those things and notice what isn't present. Begin to notice absence. Thich Nhat Hanh said, um, or maybe it was Ajahn Chah, have you been grateful for your non-headache today? (laughs) You know, we notice that my hand hurts today, but did I notice that I didn't have a headache today? Wow, that's great. (laughs) So there's a lot of opportunity here. (laughs) But also it's more subtle than that in that it begins to train the mind to notice absence, which is actually an important part of the path. Uh, We have to be able to be aware of the passing away and the cessation and the non-being of things. Otherwise we're missing part of it. So how do we actually work with this foundation in practice? Um, There's many, many techniques, actually. I won't have time to mention them all, but uh, just for something practical, um, often it's nice to work with short phrases that kind of tune us into how the mind is. So uh, a teacher named Utejaniya has some lovely... He has quite an extensive practice around this, but his most basic phrases are, I still find the most useful... So, for example, am I aware? Just ask yourself that now and then throughout the day. Am I aware this moment? Of course, as soon as you ask it, it tends to come into being. But then you can ask, what am I aware of? 
You know, what's here? Waking up into this moment. Turn on the light. What is this? Very useful. And sometimes if things are very difficult and the mind is having trouble relating to experience, there can be a specific thing that you think of to work with that. But sometimes it's helpful just to use the phrase, this is nature. It's another Utejaniya phrase. I found it helpful. This is happening because the causes and conditions for it are there. This is nature. Really helps to be, to settle back just into an awareness of what's happening. That's the effect I've found that this phrase has. In addition, there's a recommendation to look at what's called the attitude of the mind. Similar to mood or flavor, but attitude is... Uh, maybe a slightly different term. But it's something we can intuitively get, so I won't give a long definition of it. But he asks us to consider four possible attitudes that we might be carrying in our mind. Greed, hatred, confusion, or peace. And so that's similar to, is is my mind affected by wanting or not? Is my attitude one of, how can I get something out of this moment or not? just knowing that that's how the mind is. So notice that we're not asked to do a lot, just like with the body. It's not like when you notice a pain in your knee, the next instruction is, now do something to change that or get rid of it. Mindfulness of the body, we notice. We just notice, ah, there's pain in the knee. So mindfulness of the mind, we can just notice, oh, I'm feeling a lot of ill will right now. Wow, my mind is really in kind of a persnickety mood right now and it doesn't have to be followed by and how can I change that and if I were a more spiritual person I'm sure I'd be feeling enlightened and happy and joyful right now we just notice oh this is a mind that's really feeling this way and it's okay as soon as you're mindful of it you're not digging that rut deeper sometimes we worry oh I shouldn't be angry right now but if you're mindful of that it's okay. That's the safety that Chris talked about. One aspect of it, at least. Okay, there's a lot to say here, so we'll have to move on. Um, it'll be a good month exploring all of this. The third area in the mind category, and therefore the fourth foundation of mindfulness, is mindfulness of dhammas, which Gil has been calling mental processes. So what does this mean? This is actually training us kind of how to see things in our mind as they're coming and going, how to see the changes in our mind and, you know, how to categorize, in a sense, all the stuff that we're seeing. So this area of mindfulness starts to put labels on what we're experiencing into useful, helpful groups of things and to watch those things interrelate. So it's a little bit like having a, a vocabulary when you didn't have one before or having a periodic table of the elements when you didn't know what any different materials were before. And when talked about that way, it can sound a little abstract, um, And it's not really, but I'm trying to put some words around it because this is a a 
sometimes a category that people find hard to understand. But really, going back to this idea of the person from the jungle village going to New York City, this is where you start putting labels on the things that you see. This is a fire hydrant, this is a car. So in the mind, for example, we can see things called the five hindrances. I won't go through what all these are, but these are things that block the mind. We can see things related to our body and mind, our our senses. You know, this is related to my eyes or my ears. We already know that category, so you wouldn't have to learn that one. There are other mental qualities um, that are related to uh, developing the heart and also to understanding how suffering arises and passes away. So seeing the, we've, we've learned the Four Noble Truths when we talked about right view, for example. And so one of the things we can notice in the mind is whether um, our, how our experience relates to one of those noble truths. Is what I'm experiencing part of suffering? Am I noticing suffering? Am I seeing um, clinging in the mind? Am I observing the mind in a process of clinging? Is my mind free at this moment? Or am I developing something in the mind? Metta or um, wise intention or right action, other you know, factors of the path that we've learned about, those can be present in the mind also. So the instruction in this fourth foundation of mental processes is to notice how things arise and pass. So we notice that the mind is in a bad mood right now, and later it isn't. Say we notice that. So the fourth foundation might be to catch that change and see, oh, when I brought mindfulness to my ill will and I felt patience arise, the ill will faded. That's a useful piece of information. Patience counteracts ill will, which it does. So we didn't have to do anything with it. It's not like you say, I'm going to evoke this, I'm going to make it happen. But you may notice that your mind changes throughout the day, (laughs) right? Quite outside of what you're planning to do. And so if we're observing the mind over time, we'll start to naturally see what brings things about, what helps things end, what conditions are kind of clustered around a mind that's feeling a lot of wanting. Usually there's a self involved, for example, and a sense of lack. There might be a tightening in the body. You can bring in other foundations. So you start to get a sense of, oh, these things all go together. And then when I take away enough pieces of them, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Does this make sense intuitively as I'm explaining it? Of course, you have to see it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. But that's what this is referring to. Starting to see how how this thing works. (laughs) We didn't get a little instruction manual at birth that said this is how your body and mind work. But fortunately, we have some teachings that help us now start to put some order onto that. So noticing cause and effect relationships, and this is very much related to freedom because what we, we don't have to do this intentionally, but the mind will naturally 
uh, choose the direction that goes away from suffering if you're looking carefully with mindfulness because the heart doesn't want to suffer so we can starts to notice oh these things help my mind help me go more toward peace these things bring more agitation it's a process okay I'm over time also so I hope you'll enjoy learning about your body and mind this month And we're now going to do another small group exercise to explore the mind a little bit, have a chance to talk about, get some familiarity with that vocabulary. So let's see, if you could get into groups of three. Groups of three? Go ahead and then we'll have some questions. Okay, so the first question, which um, you're each just going to uh, talk about for as long as you need, um, and then we'll pass to the next person. So there's no crosstalk, but you can just, we'll just have one person speak each time, um, is in the sit, what predominant mind states did you notice? So there were questions about, is my mind affected by this or not? You know, is it concentrated or not, liberated, etc.? Um, and could you feel reflections of these in the body? So talk a little bit about what kind of mind you experienced when you were doing mindfulness of the mind. How about about a minute each? I'll, I'll just ring the bell in between. So the person, that was nice, the person closest to me can start. Go ahead. Oh, kind of winding up and switching to the second person. Just an overview of how your mind was. So generally winding up the second person and switching to the third. What mind states did you see? I hear a lot about the body. We're talking about the mind states. So... Okay, so winding up, um, we'll have a second question. (laughs) It's interesting to talk about the mind, isn't it? It's a little bit different feeling about it. So in this second question, um, the question is, how do you experience times of mindfulness versus lack of mindfulness? And I know that sounds a little vague, but feel into the question, or maybe it doesn't sound vague, but the the point is to start to put some words around what is it like when I'm mindful? You know, knowing that you know, what is available at that time? And then when you're not mindful, what is that like in the mind? Because this is a very important dimension to know if you're mindful or not. And so... Um, to, re- to start to share that with other people. You may get some ideas and you may learn some things. Be open to what you might learn from this. So just go around in a circle and talk about this. How do you experience times of mindfulness versus lack of mindfulness? Okay, go ahead.
Okay, so that sounded good. <laughs> so um, coming back, I think we'll come back to the big group. Um, so find your place again. Okay, so I wonder if there are any comments that came out of talking about your mind. Yeah. I think we all can agree that when we have the mindfulness and we have the awareness, we're more focused and we have less static. We're not as jumbled in our purpose or exterior actions and things that have nothing to do with with the present and our purpose in the present. Yeah. Um, without a question, it's inviting and positive to stay mindful. And once you get a little bit of taste of it, it's so much easier to know when we're not mindful and how we fall off. It's like walking on on the fence post. You know, when you're walking on the fence post, you're aware of it. And it's kind of nice to be that high and to look at both sides and everything. But how easy it is to fall off. Okay, that's... uh... I love to see passion about mindfulness, actually. It's really, it's very important. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I really like this this last uh, question that we did, and and I found myself, I finally had an insight as I was listening to Sean, and then when it was my turn, I realized that my answer to the question was the absolute opposite of what I thought it would have been a year ago. So... You know, a year ago, if somebody asked me, what does it mean to be mindful? I would have associated that and to be a meditator, I would have associated that with being insular. And and now I find that the more mindful I am, the more connected, the more aware, the more sensuous with the, the world, the, the way the air smells, etc. And, and when it's, it's when I'm not mindful that I have this cacophony going on in my head, that it's just all me, you know, I'm just so internal um and that was a surprising insight for me so beautifully said in thinking about this question it occurred to me that my ability to be mindful Um, is as strong as my willingness to let go of all the thoughts and contents of my mind. Sometimes uh, we talk about mindfulness as bringing something into mindfulness or 
putting our mind there, but I think of it as much more of a passive act than um, an active one. When you let go of everything else, mindfulness is just what's left. Very nicely said. Actually, in this sutta, it, it never, I don't think anywhere in the suttas it says, be mindful of. That's not a command that the Buddha gives. And this idea, it's more modern language where we say things like bring the attention back or put the mind somewhere. Um, what you described is actually very much very cl- much closer to what the original texts say is that mindfulness is a quality somehow that um, that is there when there aren't other things. Yeah. Yeah, wait for the microphone. Oh, I think it's good to have two out there anyway. That's good. Thank you for picking that up. So then, is it correct to speak of being mindful of pleasant, unpleasant? Or is that, or would that, the correct vocabulary be aware of pleasant, unpleasant? It's okay to use that language. We understand what be mindful of means when we're talking together. I was responding to the feeling that mindfulness is not an action. It's fine. Mindfulness has an object. It's okay to speak that way. There is something that we're mindful of. It's not necessarily something we can command. But go ahead. We were talking some in our group about self-judgment uh, and, you know, how as you're mindful of things, it's natural sometimes to, to judge yourself about them. And I was really struck by how automatic and natural it is to have pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And there's a misunderstanding sometimes that mindfulness makes you be able to transcend those things. Uh, You know, and and I've even seen research that people, it's so automatic in our brains. Like there's some object and you identify pleasant or unpleasant, at least I don't know about neutral, like so fast before you even identify what the object is. (laughs) So perception. (laughs) Which makes sense for our like survival. (laughs) So... Yeah, I just was was reflecting on on how easy it is to judge ourselves for these things that are natural and fine, and that that's not the problem. Yeah, very important. Thank you. So um, your, your your comment makes uh, uh, makes me think that um, what it does do is um, it creates a freedom from um, um, acting 
on. Uh, so it doesn't change. It doesn't change that, you know, my hand hurts and it feels bad. My hand's still going to hurt, but it allows freedom about what I do next with this hand. Um, Or we might say your hand might or may not still hurt. It, you know, the the mindfulness, sometimes the body and the mind are related, like the amount of pain that we're feeling diminishes a lot when we're mindful of it. So it may actually, because a lot of pain is the gripping and the reactivity and the fear around it, but what you said is very important in that we're not controlling or making the pain go away by being aware of it. But there's, we start to notice the effect between the body and the mind when we're mindful and open up that space of having choice about how to respond to something. We don't have to react. And by the way, I'm just sitting here talking away, but I would like to invite Chris to respond to anything also. No, fine. Okay. Any other comments? Or questions? Or questions about this? foundation since you'll be working with it over the next uh, six weeks I believe yeah Sarah do you know of any uh, guided meditations that would be available that are um, along the lines of the body practices about the bones and muscles etc you know bones muscles blood oh, the, the 32 parts or, yeah or uh, the elements one are there oh, the any elements. you know recorded Wow, I wish there were. I don't know offhand, but I just if I were asked that, I might go to Dharma Seed and search for that topic. It's dharmaseed.org. Yeah. Would would you search for yeah. then uh, Or do we have any on Audio Dharma? Do you know? I just don't know if Gil has done that. Okay. Check on Audio Dharma also. He's the Santa Cruz teacher, and so I don't know if Santa Cruz has a recording library, but that's a possible. Yes, but yeah. Anyway, okay. Parts of the body, maybe thirty-two parts 32 of the body. Parts of the body. Like that. Yeah. Good suggestion. Thank you. You mentioned earlier that uh, patience can counteract ill will, and I don't think I've ever heard that quite in those terms before. Would you mind elaborating uh, on how that works a little bit? How it works. So um, my experience of how it works is that um, patience has in it um, the element of the two elements of contentment and non-contention. Does that make sense? And both of those two are not compatible with with disliking something. Yeah, so... Um, and I'm also going on... Um, I mean, when I said that, there is a sutta that talks about using patience to counteract anger. 
as the as a very standard pairing and i've seen that in my own experience so the the patience has a space to it um, that includes an acceptance of the present conditions you know not fighting against the present conditions whereas ill will inherently ill will is used in a general way in buddhism not just like directed at a person but it's directed as i don't like what's happening and it should end so there's a sense of this shouldn't be here and which is suffering of course um am i getting close to what you're saying it looks like i haven't quite landed okay okay thank you Okay, well, this is a great found. This is a great practice. This is a, you're, we're on like a really important step <laughs> of the path because mindfulness is just the most. It's the most fundamental practice that we teach in this um, in this tradition. You know, if you come to a beginner course at IMC, it's it's about you know the different categories of mindfulness. That's considered the basic practice. So this is really getting into kind of the heart of the development and the awareness of our mind. And mindfulness is so powerful. I mean, just that moment of being aware um, starts to transform immediately what's going on in the mind. So I think we have six weeks this month. Is that correct? Yes. This is a six-week month. (laughs) Yeah, please. Yeah, it's just accidental. Somehow it was the only date that was available for the May meeting, but it's good. So um, there's only four weeks of exercises, but there's two extra weeks that you can go back and review and practice and tie this into everything we've been learning so far. So it's a great time to have a little extra. May 22nd. Liz and I are going to do it together, so she knows. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to send out... Gil's been giving a series on Monday nights, eight weeks of talks on the four foundations of mindfulness and going through each of these body exercises and each of these mind exercises. So I'm going to send out a mail just with pointers to those talks. But if if you get bored... The most important thing to do is to look at your own experience. But if you need a little inspiration on one of these things, there's this very recent uh, great series of talks. And then I guess we're also supposed to remind that um, uh, we're after the last session um, in here in May, there's going to be a day-long retreat in June, on June 18th. That's a Saturday, actually. And it will be held down at the Insight Retreat Center in Santa Cruz. So uh, it's a great opportunity, first of all, to go to that place and see it. We love to advertise it. Uh, and it's kind of the wrap-up of the course. Um, we'll have an opportunity to get some last teachings, and everybody will be there. In fact, the we have a parallel group, if you will, um, running in Modesto right now. Lori Wong is teaching, and some of them are going to come. So you get a chance to meet people from Modesto who are doing this same program over the last nine months, eight months. 
Um, so I'd encourage, in the, so this is all an advertisement that right now the um, sign-up is on the Insight Retreat Center website. We have the URL up here if you don't know it. And I think it's been sent by email to at least some of you. And I think we opened it first just to people who have mentors, um, the people who are who had registered for the course and have a mentor. And so this is kind of that period where you can sign up and then we'll open it to everybody, including auditors, um, so that everybody has a chance. And there are still spaces. So if you're an auditor and you're here today, don't worry. <laughs> it's, um, there's still room. But uh, we're about to make that changeover of opening it to everybody. So if you're interested, please make sure you sign up. Yeah, I don't know. You may not have received a confirmation e- email yet because we have such an extended registration period. But yes, if you signed up and you got the little thing that said registration complete or whatever, you're in. And did you have a question too? Well, um, I think you answered. Okay. I'm confused. <laughs> oh dear, we don't want to create. You you need to go to the insight. Well, I sent out a mail. Are you an auditor or do you have a... Oh, then you should have gotten a mail with a link to sign up. I'll send one we again this week. We have the URL here if you want to copy it And if it you didn't also. follow up on that and sign up for that. We just need a head count for the retreat center because it only holds a certain number of people. Yeah, and, and they're cooking lunch, so they need to know how many people are coming. Yeah. So we just ask you to sign up for that session. There will be some sitting, some discussion. Yeah. Some sitting, some breakouts, some talking. It's going to be led by Bruni and Lori Wong and me as the teachers. So we don't have to bring out lunch yet? No. Right. We're going to feed you. <laughs> Jessica's going to feed you. Unless you have some particularly off-the-wall allergy, in which case you should bring your own lunch. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Enjoy your six weeks. <laughs>